0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, we're going to read verses 13 through 23, um, but I want to put that in context. Uh, one of the most heartbreaking stories to me in the Bible, I'll, I'll explain this to you, I'm in my personal Bible reading, I've just finished up First Samuel. I'm coming into Second Samuel, and as I approach Chapter 11, I always go, because oh, Chapter 11 is David's great fall, and you know it's coming. You've, I've read it many, many times. I love the character David. I just, I love him. I, 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 I admire his courage. I admire his wisdom and all these things. But when you come to Chapter 11, It's just a dark spot in the story of the life of David. And it reminds us of how wicked our flesh is and how easy it is to be deceived and all these things. And so you come through chapter 11 and you know that after 2 Samuel 11, David's life stays somewhat dark for a while. Because what happens is, is he sins and the sword will not depart from his house. And it was true. You go right out of the sin with Bathsheba to the death of David's little baby. Then you go into the story of Amnon and Tamar. Amnon is murdered by Absalom. Absalom is exiled from the country. Uh, Joab pulls some chicanery to get Absalom back. He doesn't get Joab's attention, so he burns his fields. Then he says, I want to talk to my dad. His dad hugs his neck, receives him as though he had repented. Absalom had not. Next thing you know, Absalom has a conspiracy, and he's over, trying to overthrow the kingdom. He has no, Absalom doesn't blush to try to kill his own father. He has no qualms about doing that. The man is absolutely in love with himself. He is the epitome of rebellion. If there's a villain in the Bible, Absalom is his name. Uh, The man is a wretched individual. He's more doubly wretched in that he seems to be so sweet and kind, yet he's stabbing his own father in the back. And that's what we come into in 2 Samuel 15 is the conspiracy comes to light. Absalom has a strong conspiracy. He was so clever he told his father i'm going to go down to hebron to keep vows to god i told him that if he'd bring me back in peace i would worship him he hides his rebellion under worship that's it's wicked it's doubly wicked than being rebellious to hide it in the under the guise of the name of worship and so uh, david blesses him and says go to hebron and there in hebron that symbolic city where david was originally anointed king by israel uh, absalom does the same he's got people who think they're doing the right thing, following him. And David, as we come into chapter 13, is fleeing from his own son. I said it's one of the most sad stories in the Bible, Uh, and yet that's where we're at. There are times it's easy to serve the Lord, and there are times it's not. There are times it is is a joy to be in the service of the king, and there are times when we're not sure if we're going to survive. That's just the truth. May I say this, if we are going to serve the Lord based on our circumstances, throw in the towel now, go ahead and quit before you get disappointed because there are some days that serving the Lord and serving our King, you're on the victory side of things, and there's other days where it looks like we might not win. Now, we know how it will all end, and I understand that David here is running because of sin even in his own life, so that is not comparative to our Lord, but it is comparative in that there are not the the. Service of the Lord Jesus Christ is not always mountaintop and it's not always victories. Some days it looks like defeat. You can look at the Apostle Paul when he and Silas simply obeyed the Lord and they were beaten and their clothes were stripped and they were thrown in jail and the stocks were put on them and they were sitting there in a prison cell in the middle of the night. That doesn't look like victory to me. And I concern at times that we may have a misunderstanding of what service for the Lord actually looks like. And so tonight we come into this story, verse 13. As I said, we'll begin to read here, and you'll find that David is fleeing for his life. So let's start reading in verse 13. There came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom... Make speed to depart lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him, and the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him, and tarried in a place that was afar off, that was far off, and all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Carathites and all the Pelothites and all the Gittites, 600 men, which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place, and abide with the king. He's, when he says the king there, he's talking about Absalom, the newly uh, rising king in Jerusalem. He says, For thou art a stranger, and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go with, whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over, and Etai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all the little ones that were with him, and all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. You can continue to read about the decisions David makes as he's fleeing Jerusalem. It's one of the things that causes me to admire him. He is making better decisions under duress than he ever did when he was having life easy. That's true for most of us, by the way. We do much better under difficulty than we do under great success. And so we find that true with David. Here, under duress, he makes a number of tremendous decisions out of selflessness and honor of God. But here, we, we meet, and it's just a few verses here in 2 Samuel 15, and then a few verses in 2 Samuel 18, that tell us something about loyalty to our Savior in, again, the loyalty we see with Ittai to David. And I believe there are some things that can help us in our serving the Lord. One of the things God has to tell us repeatedly is not to faint. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small, Proverbs 24 tells us. He tells us that we are to uh, not be weary in well-doing. He says we're to look unto Jesus and consider Him lest we faint. So it is a temptation at times when serving our Lord to say, you know, I think I'm done. I've tried and it's difficult and I think I'm done. And uh, that's not the kind of person Ittai the Gittite was. Let's see three things about him tonight in this text. There's a number of things we'll see, but three main things, beginning with his trying or trial. Uh, If you read the text, verse 19, the Bible says, Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us, return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also, also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may? Return now and take back thy brethren, mercy and truth be with thee. If you read in verse 18, there's a large group of people uh, that are mentioned here. It says there were Carathites and Pelothites and all the Gittites, six hundred men which came after him from Gath, Passed on before the king. David, from the day he was anointed king by Samuel to this very day, attracted people who were in trouble. He attracted people, the Bible would tell us, and it was normally four to six hundred men. He attracted people that were in debt. He attracted people that were disgruntled with the king. Uh, Somebody said he had to be a Baptist. He attracted people in debt, and disgruntled, and it had to be. And so that's the kind of people. He attracted people that had problems that said, maybe this guy can help us. No different here. If you look at what kind of man Ittai was, what stands out to you? He's Ittai the Gittite. What does that tell us and where does that tell us he's from? He's from the city of Gath. From the city of Gath. Can you remember anybody else in the Bible from the city of Gath? There was a fellow named Goliath from Gath. Meaning Ittai is from the same city, the same town that Goliath was from. We might say, well, that's interesting. The Israelites had won over. This man's a Philistine. He's not an Israelite. He's a Philistine, meaning he is one of God's declared enemies, or at least he had been. But on this day, David says two things about it Gittite. He said, number one, you're a stranger. That's how we know he's a Philistine. He was not an Israelite living in Philistine territory. He was a Philistine. He was from the city of Gath. He is from the very city where Goliath had been. I cannot help but think that in David conquering Goliath, All those years before, he had proven, God had used him to prove. Remember what David said before he slew Goliath? That all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. Well, it worked. There was a guy named Ittai that somehow must have heard about the God of Israel and he had abandoned his home country to come be with the man that had slew their champion. I think that's why it's important to understand what the Bible says. Here's a man from Gath, and here he is with David. And the Bible says, so he's a stranger. He's a Philistine from Gath who's come over. But the Bible says he's not only a stranger. What else does it say? He's an exile. His own country had rejected him. His own country had said, nope, we're done with you. You remember what Paul said, the cross of Christ, the effect it had on his life? He said that by the cross of Christ he was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to him. That's the effect the cross has, meaning the world says we have no use for you and we as Christians say I really don't have a use for the world. I'm living in it, I'll use it for God's glory. But the idea is the world says we don't need you, we don't want you. You're one of those who are loyal to the cross and loyal to Christ. By the way, there is still a price tag for believing in the cross of Jesus Christ in this world. There's still going to be persecution for that. And here's what happens. Here's a man that had fled to David. You think about this. I don't understand altogether why he was in exile, but I do know this. He had been with David for... When you go as an exile into another country, we also call those refugees. He's in exile, he's kicked out of his own country, he's not long, no longer welcome in idolatrous gath, and so now he is in Israel with David, the man that had slew their champion all those years before, and I'm assuming he came there, by, by David's conversation with him, he had come there for refuge of some sort, but he said, you've only been here a day. You're an exile from the land of Gath and the Philistines. You've only been here a day. Go back and get what you came for. You came to Jerusalem for a place to stay. You didn't come to run and hide with me. David said, you came for... Look at it, it says in verse 20. Whereas thou camest but yesterday should i this day make thee go up and down with us david's fleeing for his life he's fleeing for the lives of those that were in his service and he said you've only been in, you've only been with me for a day go back join up with absalom stay safe there you don't have to be here now you put yourself in etai's shoes Here's a man that had had enough confidence. He had, he had rejected his own country. He had rejected his own people and what he had been in. He's a stranger and an exile, and he's come to be with David. He's come to be with God's people. And boy, this is how you get broke in on this. Can you imagine? You get saved, you join a church, and your first Sunday, they have a blow-up and a split? That's a good way to start your Christian life, wouldn't it be? I'm reminded tonight, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Here's a man that's a tremendous picture of that verse of Scripture, Psalm 119, 165. He's being put to the test. He has obviously come to be with David, having rejected his own country, come to the nation of Israel, and he's obviously come because he has confidence in this king. But immediately that's put to the test by the king's own son trying to kill him and running him out of the country. Nothing to test your faith like the man you think is such a great hero running for his life. You're from Gath. Is that the picture you have of David? That this is a man that runs from his enemies? You think this possibly threw Ittai just a little bit? Ah, you're running from your son. And so then he's under trial. I believe his confidence in King David is being put to the test. He's already been rejected by his own country, but look what David does. Sometimes rejection is our test. Listen to me now, don't miss this tonight. Sometimes rejection by the world is our test, but sometimes release from responsibility is our test. How many times if you didn't think you had to do what's right and those in authority over you told you you don't have to, you'd stop if you could? That's what David says. He says, you are not obligated to go with me. I'm not going to make you go with me and run up and down the countryside as I try to spare my own life and figure out what's going on. So, Atai, you are welcome to stay. You are, In fact, he tells him, you go back. You go back with the king. You go back to Jerusalem. There's no need for you to run around the country with me. You don't owe me that. Good opportunity for him to say, you know, I think... By the way, who is in the majority here? David and his crowd or Absalom and his crowd? You know what the king says? You are free to go. You do not have to serve me. Well, this reminds me of our great king. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. But you know what? You don't have to. God does not twist our arm behind our back and say, when I am being ill-treated, you have to do that. He tells us, if you're going to serve me, that comes with the territory. I believe David says, here's what's going on. I'm running for my life, and there's no need for you to have to run for yours. You can go back. Tell me, if he had gone back to Jerusalem, which one of these two prospects looks more appealing? Join the minority that's about to be overcome of a new king who's got the whole country on his side, or go back and tell the new king, I'm on your side, how can I help? There's safety, there's peace, there's security, you have a stable place. If if he said to David, where are we going next? You know what he'd have to say? I'm not sure right now. All I know is we can't be back there. May I say this? I believe there are times in our Christian life where the world has rejected us, but the Lord says, you're released. I won't make you serve me. You know what? If you want to quit church tonight, you can. That's up to you. You want to quit uh, reading your Bible? You can. You want to quit standing with the Lord Jesus Christ and identifying with him by being true to his word? You can. Uh, The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. God gave us a choice, and if you're saved, you really have a choice. Demas made a choice. He forsook the work of God, having loved this present world. Did he not? And you and I can exercise the same choice. I'm trying to tell you, Itai had a trial, first of all, by difficulty in his life. He's exiled from his own country. He comes into a place where I'm sure he felt he could be secure and safe and cared for. And all of those things that he must have heard good about the kingdom of Israel. And he's there. And one day into it, his world gets turned upside down. He came as an exile. You know what he is now? An exile. An exile. But now he's not an exile from the devil's crowd. He's an exile from God's crowd. He's come into the kingdom that's got God's name on it, and he's an exile there. I'm going to tell you, there are disappointments in the Christian life. It's Listen, it is disappointing for the world to treat you like you're the scum of the earth. It's more disappointing for God's people to treat you that way. But If you're going to be loyal to Christ, you're going to have to experience both. If you're going to be loyal to Christ, you're going to have to deal with the lost world, the idolatrous world. But I'm going to ask you something. On face value, did Absalom look like a Philistine or did he act like an Israelite? He went to Hebron to pay his vows to God. He is on paper. He is just beautiful. He greets people. He loves people. He wants to hear their problems. And he goes and pays his vows and worships God. He didn't act like Philistines at all. But because he was a rebel in his heart and he was a fraud, then what happens is he, he, he makes Itai again an exile. He comes as an exile. I don't know about you. Being an exile is not fun. Isn't it great to be somewhere where you're not wanted? Isn't it great to be said, you know what? We don't like you. We don't want you. You might as well just go So what David is saying, look, you're an exile. There's no need for you to continue to be an exile. Going back, two things tried this man. Difficulty disappointment, but also freedom and the opportunity to forego being an exile any longer. If you want to go fit in with the crowd that's anointing Absalom king, you can. I'll say this, every young person in this room, there'll come a time where you will have the opportunity to exit loyalty to Christ and join the majority, fit in with the crowd, even the so-called Christian crowd, and that'll test you whether or not you truly trust God. It'll test you whether or not you really love the Lord, or not. We find itai had a test. His rejection from his own country was a test, but his release from David's service was a test. Where the Lord says, "You know what?" The David says, "You don't have to go with me." In fact, he even encourages him to go back. And yet, here's Itai's testimony. We've seen his trying verses thirteen all the way down uh, through verse 20, because we see the situation, verses 13 through 18. And then we see the king telling him, go back and join Absalom. Thou camest, but yesterday, should I make thee this day go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may return thou, and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. You hear what David saying? He said, I won't hold it against you if you go back. Mercy and truth be with thee. So let me ask you something. At this point, if Etai stays, what will hold him? If he continues to go with David, what would cause him to do that? David's not trying to make him. He says, if you go back, I'll, I'll hold nothing against you. I'll understand. You're going back. Don't, you don't have to go with me and suffer with me. The only thing that would hold him is love and loyalty. That's it. The only thing hold you in service to the king. That's all. Nothing else. So number two, we find first of all he's trying. Number two is testimony. Verse 21, and today I answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, that tells you he's a man of God. He's no longer a Philistine at heart, is he? As the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the King liveth, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. That sounds like somebody getting married, doesn't it? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. A lot of people have uttered those words and never meant them. A lot of people have uttered those words to a mate and not meant them. A lot of people have uttered those words to the Lord and not meant them. But Atei was right in the midst of the test. He has an opportunity to prove what he, had, what he said. And his testimony is this. You know what? In spite of my difficulty, in spite of my disappointment, in spite of the danger that it will be to be near you, I would rather be near you, King David, than have all the options of safety and security that come with going back to an Absalom. I would rather be near someone who's after God's own heart than someone who's following his own. And you hear me tonight, when it comes to human beings, you and I have to make similar choices. Not just with our Savior. We have to just figure out who's our crowd, those that are pursuing God or those that are pursuing self. And today I said, I've made my choice. It was a choice of integrity. Verse 21, here's a man who was what he appeared to be. He says, I'm with you. He had come to be with David. You know, when David first starts to flee, Ateah goes with him. And I think what David wants to make sure of, I don't want any fair weather fans. I don't want you going with me if you're not the real deal. I want sincerity here. So you're welcome to go back. And I'm, I'm truly, I'm releasing you. You do not have to go with me. And the day I says, I'm with you in death or in life. God's alive and as He's alive and as you're alive, you can count on me being with you. To death. It doesn't matter whether you die or whether you live. I'm in for keeps. I've preached this, especially in the first part of the year. We preached on this subject of one thing, singleness of heart and singleness of mind. There needs to come a time in your life, if it has not yet, that you say, it doesn't matter. I've made up my mind. Christ died for me. Christ lives for me. He's the king. And it doesn't matter what it does to my life. I'm in for keeps. I'm not in while the in is good and then out when the out is good. When he's led my life, I'm going to be loyal to him, whether it seems good or seems bad in life or in death. I've made up my mind. I'm serving Christ. There's something to having made that choice and then never looking back on it. It'll be put to the test, by the way. But this is what it means to be a servant of our Savior. It demonstrates it so well as an integrity choice. And by the way, that led him to being a man of great influence. Look, if you went on down, verse 22 says, And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. You know what David said? If you're willing to stay, I'm willing to keep you, (laughs) right? Uh, Go and pass over. And Ittai, the Gittite, passed over. And what's it say next? And all his men and all the little ones that were with him. Don't miss that. When he made a decision of integrity, meaning I'm going to do what's right, not what's convenient. I'm going to be loyal to the one who is the true king, not the one who seems to be king in the moment. Can I try to make this real practical? Right now, it is in our country and in our culture not a popular thing to be separated unto Jesus Christ and to seek to live your personal life and conduct your spiritual life and your practical life in a way that's pleasing to Him. What has swept the churches of America is a convenient Christianity led by a bunch of Absalom's. It swept our nation. I've watched in my lifetime, church after church and family after family, lay down Bible principles to be relevant in the culture. And the more churches have done it, the easier it becomes. And the more families that have done it, the easier it becomes. Until we're explaining away why the Bible doesn't mean what it says. And why the word of our Savior has no bearing on our lives and how we do what we do. And right now you're going to be in a minority if you say, I'm going to live my life to please the Lord. I want to be near Him. I want His approval. You're going to be in a minority, but it's still the right thing. What has happened is for relevance. We have confused relevance with influence. We think if we're relevant to this world, meaning if enough people know who we are and think we're great, we're having an influence. I want to tell you something. We may not know our influence until we're dead and gone. But you never gain biblical, godly influence by compromise. Never. That's never the way to get it. Well, we've got to lay some principles down to make a greater impact. That's not right. We've seen ministry after ministry. And, and look, none of us is exempt from this. But we've seen compromise made in the name of making a larger impact. After all, we're supposed to reach as many as we can. Please show me that in the Bible. In that context that I just stated it. I understand we're supposed to get the gospel as many as we can, but that doesn't mean they'll be reached. In the sense of saved. (laughs) We may preach the gospel to people to the day we die and not see one or two souls saved. That's we got to do our part. You can live a godly life. What I'm trying to say is, you and I may not see the fruit of our labor in this life. What we have to do is say, but I'm going to be loyal to my king. When it's more popular to go back and follow Absalom, and when everybody else is doing that and they say, well we think he's the king. You know what Absalom is? It's the flesh. It's the flesh. Absalom is such a perfect picture of our rotten, sinful nature that wants the convenient way. I want to tell you what Absalom wanted. He wanted to be in power. He wanted authority and control without responsibility and accountability. He wanted to steal the throne, not be given it by God. He wanted to invade on that and steal what was not rightfully his and take over. He was corrupt to his core. And Absalom is a picture of the flesh, and we are seeing so many today living flesh-driven lives. And there's a temptation in all of us to join that crowd. But Jesus Christ, while it looks like in our time, it may look like, man, you take His side on things, you side with the Bible on things, and people will think you a fool. Let Him think it! He's worthy. Isn't that what we saw this morning? And that's where Atei got to. He said, you know what? I know all of those people are following him, but David, you have my heart. When Jesus Christ has your heart, it's for death or life. And that's what Paul said in Philippians 1, that he wanted Jesus Christ to be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The word Atei means near. Near. You know where he wanted to be? Near the king. Do you realize that Jerusalem was not his objective? A lifestyle inside the city of Jerusalem was not his objective. Do you know what we can now see was Athea's objective? To be near the king. David was his objective. You know how we know that? Because when it got tough to be near David, he said, I still want to be near him. Even when the whole world seems to have turned against him, I'm going to stay with him. You know what, you and I come to some very practical, practical decisions in our life. Am I going to take the reasoning of the flesh or am I going to take the Word of God? Am I going to agree with what God says or am I going to agree with how I feel? Am I going to be loyal to my Savior's Word or am I going to be loyal to popular opinion? This is where the practicality of this message comes home. Where's my loyalty? Where's my loyalty? I'll say this just in comparison and, uh, to the series of messages. I said this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. The messages about the believer and the body. I believe one of the reasons, whether it's we're dealing with speech or we're dealing with what we listen to or watch or put on, anything that has to do with what can be seen by other humans, we have a hard time with those issues. And here's why I believe why. When you take the Word of God and apply it to your tongue and your eyes and your ears in your appearance, and you conduct yourself to be near Him and to please Him, everybody can see that. What's happened is, when our inward faith becomes outward practice, we have declared whose side we're on. And that's why we're reluctant to do it and excuse our reluctance as, well, I don't want to offend. What we're really saying is, I don't want to be offended. I want to declare my loyalty to David without actually crossing the brook Kidron and it costing me something. There's something to saying, you know what? David, you may lose this thing. Your son may defeat you. But if you die, I want to be with you when you do. Now, friend, that's loyalty. And our culture knows so very little of it. True, isn't it? But you know what? Here's what I find. Could you be that loyal to a man that you knew had committed adultery? Could you be that loyal to a man that you knew his son was chasing him because he was reaping what he had sown 15 years earlier or so? Itayah showed that kind of loyalty to a sinful man like himself. How can we not show such loyalty to the sinless Savior if he could show that kind of loyalty to a man like David who is simply after God's heart can we not show that kind of loyalty to Christ who is the heart of God? And so tonight, his testimony was this, I'm in for keeps, No turning back. David, whatever it costs to be with you, I'm in. Whatever it, listen, you say, what's that mean to us tonight? Whatever it costs to be in agreement with this book and simply take God's side on everything, if it costs me my career, if it costs me my family, friends, if it costs me whatever Lord I just want to be loyal to you and we'll take your side on the issues how many of us can think of probably 20 practical examples of how this touches our life God makes some things very clear, his word is clear and the Absalom's of this world say I hate that and if I could dethrone Jesus Christ I will and we're intimidated by that, you know Absalom he's an intimidating guy I find this about people that are living fleshly lives. They're intimidating. Absalom was very intimidating with his long, beautiful hair and his poise and his great persona. He intimidated people to taking his side who knew better. There was a priest who took his side and he knew better. But he took the wrong side. Not a though. though. You know what I think a thought? I I left the land of the Philistines to get away from this kind of thing. I can't prove that's what he thought. But you realize there are some people in churches today and they see things going on around them. They think, I saw this in the world. I saw politics and backstabbing in the world. I shouldn't see that in God's house. I left the world to be near Christ. And they say, well, if it costs me, cost me whatever, I want the Lord. And so that was Day's testimony. We see his trying. We see his testimony. Now, go to 2 Samuel chapter 18. And in his testimony, by the way, you notice what I started to say this. And I got sidetracked. As he crosses over with David, the Bible says all the men that were with him and little children. You know what that tells me? It tells you, one decision influenced two generations. All the, the peers he had around him and all of the little children that were traveling with them tells me he hadn't come to David alone and he didn't stay with David alone. You say, I want to be an influence for the Lord. Then you and I have to make the hard decisions to be loyal to him. We have to make the decision that when everyone else seems to be against what he is and what he says, that we're going to take his side on things. And again, I'll say it. What it means is coming down to the Scripture where God has spoken clearly. We don't waffle on that. We say, I believe what God said. I'm with my Savior. And so then, finally, we see his trust. Go to 2 Samuel 18. We see his trial, trying, verses 13 through 20 of 2 Samuel 15. We see his testimony, a testimony of integrity that gave him influence In 2 Samuel 15, 21-23. And then finally we see his trust in 2 Samuel 18. We've gone through a couple of chapters here, 16 and 17. And as you may remember, you may not know what happened as David fled from Jerusalem. He left some people behind to spy for him. Hushai was one who did and became a counselor to Absalom undercover so he could figure out what was going on and try to steer counsel to protect David. He stayed loyalty by, loyal by staying behind and seeming to be loyal to Absalom when his heart was with King David. There was a couple of young men, uh, the, the priest's sons uh, that stayed behind and they spied and would run messages back and forth. And so here in chapter 18, they're setting themselves up for the battle with Absalom. Hushai the Archite had uh, convinced Absalom, it would be better for you to gather the whole nation and go get your dad. That gave David some time to hide, regroup, get some things settled, so they do. We come into chapter eighteen it 's time for war there 's a conflict between the true king and the fake king, between the flesh and the spirit, if you would, the contrary the one to the other there 's a conflict between David and Absalom, though father and son, they had completely different natures. Verse one, and David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains. Of hundreds over them, and David set forth, sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. The next few verses explain why they talked him out of that. It's not wise for you to go with us. If they kill you, it'd be like killing a host of us. You're worth more than many of us combined to Absalom, so you should hide out. We'll go fight the battle. How long had it t- I been with David? Just a few days. Why in the world does he get such a privilege of trust? Because he was faithful. In the face of making having the opportunity to make an easy decision to quit, he said, I ain't going to. May I say this? There are times where we might get a release. And the Lord may say, I will not make you serve. And you can quit if you want. Do you think it's knew the significance of his decision when he said, as the Lord liveth liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I'll be with you in death and in life. Do you think he knew he was going to be appointed to be a general over one-third of David's army? (laughs) I don't think he had a clue. Did he think this? If I stay loyal, maybe... David will win, and maybe I'll be really important in his military. All he thought was, you're the king, I'm loyal to you, and where you are is where I'll be. And David said, that's the kind of men I'm looking for right there. He would have been a lot wiser if he had chosen his men like that in the beginning, because he didn't, he ended up with a Joab on his hands. But in the end, he said, here's a man whose heart is where my heart is, and he gave him charge. He got, look, Joab had been serving David for his entire kingdom. And in a moment of time, Itai gets the same kind of trust. Why? Because he proved he was faithful. You know what? The Lord is looking for faithful people. tonight. You'll not find anything more emphasized among what God is looking for in servants than faithfulness. First Corinthians four, two, four, 1 Corinthians 4.2, 4.1 and 2. Moreover, chapter 4, verse 1. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. Look. Here's how we sometimes define faithful, okay? Don't lose me here. I'm faithful. Every time the doors are open, I'm there. Well, that's faithful to church. But what if every time the doors are open and I'm there and God gives me direction, I don't don't choose loyalty to him, I choose loyalty to my flesh? Am I faithful? I'm not faithful. Faithful means he can trust me to be true to him. And his word. Do you realize 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 is stated in the context of Scripture? He said, it, we have been made stewards of the mysteries of God. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Men who will not change their beliefs, who will not be disloyal to God's word under pressure. And I say this, the Christian life is filled with pressure. Pressure from within, our old nature. Pressure from without, the world. Pressure from beneath, Satan. And even to some degree, pressure from above, our Lord. Now, he doesn't pressure the way they do. He pressures through devotion and love. They pressure through manipulation and intimidation. You know what happened? I tell you, I made a decision. He said, you know what? I'm with you in death. Or in life. And David said, then I'm going to entrust a responsibility to you. Do you realize David, in giving him a third of the army, is putting his own life into Tai's hands? He is. If they lose on that day, who's the first guy that's going to die? And David is. You know what? I don't know if sometimes we understand how important what sometimes seem to be small decisions. An opportunity to just not serve the Lord as we know we should, an opportunity where we have an opportunity to be loyal to the Lord, take His side, know that what people are hurling at the Bible, what they're hurling at God, they're going to hurl at us and say, you know, if I can find a life that doesn't include that, that's what I'll do. If I can find a Christian life where I'm not mocked and ridiculed and made fun of like people are, I would choose that. That's not faithful. Faithful is, you know what, whatever the king's getting, I want to be near enough, I'll take it too. Jesus said, if they've hated me, they'll hate you. If they've persecuted me, they'll persecute you. I really believe to be in a Tei tonight, we only have to get a hold of one thing, the closing verse of this morning's message, Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, to receive power and wisdom and riches and honor and glory. He is worthy of our unquestioning devotion. And a Tei demonstrates this. I believe this. If you've got red blood in your veins, you would count it a tremendous honor and privilege to have the trust of 2 Samuel 18. Wouldn't you? I would. For my king to say, I've only known you for a few days, but I'm going to let you run one-third of my army. What an honor. But you know what? There's order. You know what came before trust? What came before trust was trial and testimony. An opportunity to turn back and say, No, I'm not. I'm in for keeps. May I say this? Every one of us, two things. I'll say this in closing. As you see his trial, two things. He had opposition and he had opportunity. And those things put us to the test and prove where our hearts really are. He had opposition from the enemy and opportunity to turn back. And he said, given the opportunity to be released with mercy and truth, I'll stay with my king. Amen? I'll stay with my king. I know it's 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 an illustrative message, but it applies to so many parts of our lives. So many parts. Tonight, the question would be, are we in a tei? Are we that kind of a person to where we have been given the opportunity to be disloyal to the Savior, knowing that being near Him will cost us? Have we said, you know what? My heart is with my King. Look, if you would, in closing, Philippians chapter 1. I referenced it a moment ago, but I want to read these verses. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. By the way, by the way, this one decision of, you know what? My heart is with Christ. And whatever He says, I'm loyal to Him we'll make so many other decisions for you. Some of you can testify to that. There are decisions today I don't have to think about because it's so clear in God's word. I don't have to think about it. I have to think, well, the only way that I would not obey that is to turn my back on the king. And when you made the decision that he's, he's, he's Lord and that you're with him, that you're going to be uh, obedient to him and serve him, it makes so many, you know what? I didn't have to worry about where he was going to camp that night. Just wherever David was, that's where he was. He didn't have to worry about what they were going to eat. Whatever David provided, if David's eating, I'm eating. If he's starving, I'm starving. <laughs> you know what he said? He, he said, "I have confidence in you, David. And it'd be better to die faithful than to live popular." Don't miss that. Be better to die faithful than to live relevant and popular. And that was the heart of a tehai. Philippians chapter one, verse twenty. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's really what I said to the king, In it, whether life or death, it doesn't matter. My heart is with him. Has Christ won your heart to that degree? To where when everyone and everything seems to be turning on him and his position seems to be losing ground, and we say, you know what, but I'm with him. You know what? You and I have the advantage of knowing our king's going to win. I you I didn't know how it was going to turn out. We know. It means we have less excuse for unfaithfulness than he did. <laughs> Amen. And so tonight, you may be going through a trial. I believe last year was very trying for a lot of people. And by the way, more trials will come. We should have the testimony. You know what? Whether by life or death, I'm with my king. And if so, then he can trust us in his service. Mm-hmm.